0: I know many liars doing very well these days, making out airline schedules.
1: Mr. Bojangles A date which will live in
0: infamy.
1: in the cake business, Mr. Proudfoot. Long enough for no a
0: crumb when I see one. Time now for Spinning My Dad's Vinyl. Here with all his skips, scratches, and pops is my dad, Frank Baccarello. Thanks, sweetie. And thank you for tuning in to episode 142 of Spinning My Dad's Vinyl. Here's another gem of a find for my dad's collection. Not only is the album cover attention-grabbing with five stuffed tigers playing various instruments, but how they're the wrong animal according to the album title. Faulty album cover aside, this is True Roots of Dixieland with a twist. So get ready for a Sousa Good Time with volume 142, Parading Bobcats. Bob Crosby and his orchestra with The Washington Post March, recorded April 12, 1950, and written by John Philip Souza, as are all but one of the songs you will hear on this episode. Okay, why this record for this episode? Well, I kept looking at this cover as I shuffled through the collection to to schedule the show. First that they were using stuffed tigers on an album for a band called the Bobcats caught my eye, but I had come across a couple of Bob Crosby's recordings as I worked my way through my dad's vinyl. This is the only full album from this band leader in the collection and I'm glad I finally pulled it from the stack to listen to. I just love how this music starts out sounding like a marching band, then turns into a full-fledged Dixieland jazz tune. It all fits so perfectly, and I played a couple of these tunes during my days in high school marching band, and I'm sure my dad did too. But I don't remember playing this next one. A song by the name of King Cotton, and it was recorded October 9th, 1950. All right, let me tell you about my dad's vinyl I have chosen for this episode Bob Crosby and his orchestra, Bobcats on Parade. It's on the choral label, number CRL 57061. It's a vinyl LP album format. It was released in 1957. Its genre is jazz and its style is big band, and that should also say Dixieland. We'll hear six of the 12 songs on this album. The liner notes are long and extensive, and cover a lot of jazz and Dixieland music history. So I'll pull out a few sentences that I think sum up this album. And these notes are by Bert Koval. For this album, Bob turns to one of the chief vehicles for the Dixieland band, The March. New Orleans was a marching town in the old days, and the marching bands made the first large contribution to the new music, jazz. Thus, the interest and emphasis on March music, but with one difference, it swung and still does. In essence, this album is concerned with pulsating music with a wealth of tradition behind it. It is interpreted with an equivalent wealth of feeling by the players and is certainly a credit to the Crosby name, uh, Bob, that is. Okay, let's see what prices this record is being sold at on Discogs.com. Six dollars for the highest, two fourteen for the lowest, making a four oh seven average and median. And it was last sold on November twenty fifth, twenty twenty two, for that two dollars and fourteen cents, actually uh, one pound ninety nine, and that was the low price. Both eBay and Amazon had them in the four fifty range. Now. My dad's record is in fair condition. There's not much crackle or hiss, and there aren't many marks on the surface like you like you'd think there should be on an album this old. The cover is in rather good condition, probably just a little discolored from age, but no real wear. The edges are in good condition, which is where most of that aging is done. You know, that album likes to slip into there and through there. There's no al- uh, address label on the front, but the green magic marker streak is on the back. So, I'll value my dad's vinyl at a buck. Okay, now for the only song on this episode, not on the entire album, not written by John Philip Sousa, and there's a good reason I played it. It's the title track of the album, Bobcats on Parade, and it was recorded January 27, 1957. It was written by George Cates and Sonny Burke. Okay, let's learn a little about this band leader. George Robert Crosby was born August twenty third, 1913 in Spokane, Washington. He was the youngest of seven children. He had a slightly more famous brother by the name of Harry, but we know him as... Bing Crosby. Bob Crosby got his start at the age of 18 as a vocalist with the West Coast band Anson Weeks and his orchestra. He spent a brief time with the Dorsey Brothers Orchestra, but in 1935 left to begin his own band at the request of Gil Roden. Roden had defected from the Ben Pollock band when Pollock turned his focus towards promoting his future wife Doris Robbins's singing career. In actuality, Crosby functioned more as a frontman than a comprehensive band leader, providing congeniality, a family name, and a sincere admiration for his musicians. His vocal abilities were not those of his big brother, Bing. In George T. Simon's comprehensive The Big Band's, Bob Crosby is quoted as saying, quote, I'm the only guy in the business who made it without any talent, unquote. Crosby's band stood out from the pack its Dixieland style generally considered passe at the time. The band compensated, however, with a stellar lineup, including trumpeter Yank Lawson, and an enthusiasm for the freer Dixieland style. Bob Crosby and his orchestra were very successful with over 40 hit recordings, three of which made number one in the recording charts in A Little Gypsy Tea Room in 35, Whispers in the Dark, 1937, and Day In, Day Out in 1939. Their theme song was summertime. During the war years Bob Crosby and his orchestra disbanded and Crosby formed a new orchestra that went on to enjoy some success on radio and television throughout the 1950s. Bob Crosby also had a modest film career including an appearance in Road to Bali in 1952 with his big brother Bing. In the 1960s and 70s, Crosby stayed active, doing occasional MC and solo appearances. Also, from time to time, he would reunite the Bob Crosby Bobcats, a band within a band he formed in 1937 that specialized in ensemble-oriented Chicago, Chicago-style jazz. Crosby died in La Jolla, California, on March 9, 1993, at 79 from complications from cancer. Okay, now back to Sousa music. Thunderer. Boy, it sure was, wasn't it? That was recorded May 22nd, 1950. Okay, time now for this episode's interesting side note, and it has to do with Bob's connection to another great entertainer we have featured on this show. And no, it's not his big brother. On September 14, 1952, Bob replaced Phil Harris as the band leader on the Jack Benny program, remaining until Benny retired the weekly radio show in May 1955 after 23 years. In joining the show, Bob became the leader of the same group of musicians who had played under Harris. According to Benny, writer Milt Juffensburg, Crosby was hired for budget reasons. Because of strong competition from TV, the radio program budget had to be reduced, and so Bob replaced Phil. Prior to joining Benny on the radio, Crosby, who was based on the East Coast, would often play with Benny during Benny's live New York appearances, and he was seen frequently throughout the 1950s on Benny's television series. As a performer, Crosby had tremendous charisma and wit, combined with a laid-back persona. He was able to swap jokes competently with Benny, including humorous references to his brother Bing's wealth and his string of losing racehorses. An exchange during one of the popular Christmas programs ran thus. Crosby muses to Jack that he's bought gifts for everyone but band member Frank Remley. When Jack suggests a cordial like a bottle of Drambuie, Crosby counters that Drambuie is an after-dinner drink and adds, alluding to Remley's penchant for alcohol, that Remley never quite makes it to after-dinner. Of course, we have featured several albums from Jack Benny's Golden Memories of Radio collection. I highly recommend hearing some of that radio recorded history if you can go back into the archives of this show. And now, I think I hear another roll-off coming. (laughs) High School Cadets, recorded October 9th, 1950. Well, I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I enjoyed bringing it to you. Many of these were tunes I played in marching band, usually during parade season. It was so cool to hear them played in this Dixieland fashion. A combination of marching band and Dixieland. No wonder my dad had this in his collection. And even though Jerry Tiffany who designed the album cover using stuffed tigers, didn't know his animals, (laughs) there was some good bobcat music on this record. What a fun band that must have been to see live. And now, how's that go? Once a Marine, Always a Marine? It's the Semper Fidelis March, recorded May 22nd, 1950, and of course the official march of the United States Marines. And to all my jarhead friends, oora! <laughs> and there you have selections from marches in a Dixieland style. So thanks for tuning into Volume 142, Parading Bobcats, however you do. If you want more information about this show, head over to spinningmydadsvinyl.com. I'll be back next week with all my skips, scratches, and pops for Volume 143, Neapolitan Pavarotti. Until then, go with the flow, my friends.